This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today we're talking about non-monogamy with a triad of podcasting OGs. Hello there. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And we are the hosts of the Multiamory Podcast. And we are also the authors of Multiamory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships. Jace, Emily, and Dedeker have been podcasting together for nearly a decade, so long that they've developed their own relationship tools and even co-authored a new book that just came out. So today we're going to dig into the cultural shift toward non-monogamy, which is still fairly recent, and they actually helped forge. Their favorite chapters and tools from the book their keys to good relationships of any kind, and tips for open relationships in specific. But really, at the heart of it, this episode is about a love story that took its own unique path. Well, let's start at the beginning. You guys have been at this for a very long time. So give Privates the origin story and kind of the romance at the beginning of the podcast. I Ooh, love the romance. Yeah, the romance. <laughs> it was. It was a romance. And I love that part of the story. I mean, I love our whole story and what it has evolved into as well. But yeah, Jace and I were in a monogamous relationship for a while. Then we opened up and became polyamorous. At the time, Dedeker was off on her own polyamorous journey. Uh, she had been doing it for a little while and was dating somebody that I found through OkCupid. And then once I met him, Dedeker and Jay started dating as well. And actually for a while, the four of us became like a little quad. So quads are out there. They are a thing in non-monogamy, but they are also very unstable, unfortunately. And so because of that, and I think just because of where we were at that time in our lives, it kind of all fell apart after a while. Jace Dedeker and I were a triad for a while as well, but eventually we did end up breaking up. So Jason Dedeker still currently are in a non-monogamous relationship, but I am in a monogamous relationship and have been for the last eight years. But before we broke up, we started this podcast. And that was because we found... There wasn't a huge amount of information out there for mm -hmm. people like us who were just starting out in polyamory and who were young, who were really interested in bettering communication skills, but didn't quite know how to do it. There just weren't very many resources out there at the time. And so we decided, why don't we create one? We know so much about non-monogamy, <laughs> which we totally didn't at the time, but we did it anyways and created one. You guys are one of my first touch points, I think, with non-monogamy like oh, in wow. culture because wow. you were one of the first podcasts to talk about yeah. it yeah 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 it was a weird time to get into it because we started like 2014 or so and I want to say that maybe 2015 2016 was when I started seeing culturally 
uh-huh. a shift of like, oh, suddenly people are like putting this in their Instagram bio. Suddenly the media coverage is starting to take on a slightly different tone. Were you going to add to that, Jace? Oh, I, yeah. I was just going to say that when we started our podcast in 2014, there was really only one podcast at the time that was talking about non-monogamy, and that was Polyamory Weekly with Cunning Minx. And at that time, she'd been doing it for several years already before then. Um, but that's like very early days of podcasting when she started. We were still kind of early days. I know that like I was a pretty early adopter of podcasting, uh-huh. like in 2010 is when I got into that. And so then in 2014, I was like, I want to do this thing. Let's do it. <laughs> That's amazing. And your journey, I like the evolution of it because it's like authentic to how non-monogamy works a lot of times, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so many non-monogamous people out there go through transitions in their relationships And I appreciate that that's a thing that is fairly normalized for non-monogamous people, because I think it's possible to have relationships that end in one fashion, but then continue in another. And truly, like the three of us are closer now than we ever have been, even though we're not all sleeping together. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there was this funny moment, I know, for you, um, because... You know, it took a couple of years, you know, you and your partner were still kind of exploring non-monogamy and stuff like that. And and then eventually you landed on a monogamous relationship. Yeah. And M always shares with us having that moment of like, should I still be on a polyamory show? Am I a fraud? Am I like lying to people? And we, you know, we had that discussion, the three of us together. And we're just like, no, like we can just be honest. And if anything it probably really helps because we already, I think the non-monogamous community already suffers from, first of all, so many of us already feeling othered by the mainstream, Mm -hmm. you know, all the monogamous folks looking at us and being like, oh, those weirdos over there. But then within the non-monogamous community, we also do sort of the, oh, those toxic monogamous people over there, right? And so I think anything that we can do to build a bridge there or like knit those two things together so that like these two communities don't have to inherently feel weirded out and threatened by each other, I think is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. So the breakup, did it get weird for a second or was it okay? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One second. uh, Yeah. No, I I would say there was a moment, I think like the time when I started really feeling like I was getting in more into the groove of what our relationship was, uh, I was really like 2017 It took like that long for me, at least, I think just because there are feelings of like, well, I'm watching these two people that I was so close with in a certain way, Mm -hmm. be close to one another, but not me in that way. And it was hard. It was hard for a while to, to see that and to feel a little bit of FOMO or like, you know, left out to a degree. But I think, I don't know, there, there's a groove in a time at which you realize like I've been friends with these people for longer than I was in a romantic relationship with them. And that feels more normal and feels more okay. And it was nice to kind of transition finally into that kind of mode of our relationship. But yeah, it was, it was weird for a bit. And, and we didn't have the luxury of like time away really, because we had to keep doing this podcast and that was kind of a big priority where we decided we had to keep doing the podcast. Yeah. 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 It probably yeah. would have been easy to bail out. Did you talk about it on mic? Oh, gosh. Somewhat? No. I mean, well, geez, we, had, we had a little like <laughs> transitional relationship episode here and there. 
but we aren't a podcast about like the nitty gritty details of what's happening in our life very much. It's more broader spectrum. Like we're going to talk about this thing in relationships and how we can be better at them, but it, and gives maybe some personal examples, but it's not like, well, Jay said this the other day and what a dick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think to that, that is something that we debated about, you know, back then. And, I think that the overall takeaway for us with our show from the beginning is that, yeah, it's not this, oh, wow, what, you know, what fun sex did you have this last week? And like, that's a cool show to listen to as well. Mm -hmm. But our show was more this, we're going to wait until we've learned some kind of lesson from this. And then also talk to enough other people to kind of distill like what's actually useful about this. Because one of the things you'll see with a lot of relationship advice out there whether that's from, you know, your best friend or your mom or some random podcast that you listen to <laughs> is a lot of times people do this thing where they're like, oh, in my relationship, we did this thing and that seemed to work for us. So therefore, that is the way to do it and everyone should do that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that kind of, I guess, just that very particular like, well, this is how I've always done it. And I guess I'm okay. So you should do it that way because everyone should do what I do. And that's something we've really tried to avoid on this show is anytime we're trying something new, like, for example, Radar is one of the tools that we talk about in our book. And it's this regular monthly relationship check-in format that's been Mm -hmm. super helpful in all of our lives. When we first talked about that on our show, we had all already learned about this idea and had been applying it in our own lives for a year, several it was literally months, a, a year. year. Yeah. yeah. A year. Oh, yeah. Wow. Before mm-hmm. we even talked about it on the show and then over the years have improved upon it. And originally it wasn't called radar. And then we came up with the name and further refined it. But so I that's just as an example that it's not just this like off the cuff, I did this thing, you should do it. And I still see that around a lot. And I'm like, yeah, maybe there's a great idea there, but don't tell me that this is like tried and true if you just happen to use it right now. You guys are chewers to use your own terminology. <laughs> I guess well, on a macro sense. On a macro sense, yes, we're chewers. On a micro individual level, I'm the sole lonely chewer of the bunch. And the other two are spewers. And sure. I chronically date pretty much only spewers. And I'm surrounded by spewers. So that's my experience. <laughs> I do feel like there's more of us, Stedeker, at least in your sphere. But it's usually like a three to one thing when we're on <laughs> podcasts and everyone's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a spewer. And you're the one who's a I'm chewer. I'm the one representing the chewing. What, what are you, Courtney? I'm a chewer. But- oh, okay, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can you go. guys define that for the yeah. audience? Yes. Everyone's like, what the hell are these people talking yeah. about? Yeah, so we came up with the Spewers and Chewers framework a few years ago on the podcast. And essentially, that's our language for internal processors versus external processors. So for all of us, when troubling emotions come up or a bunch of emotions come up at once or a lot of confusing thoughts or a lot of information comes in, we tend to default to a particular processing style and internal processors or the chewers like to take in the information, usually like to have time possibly by themselves. They like to be quiet. They like to like really think through, piece together what their thoughts and feelings are, maybe do some extensive journaling on their own. And then they're ready to present their (laughs) thoughts and feelings to the world or to the other person. Now, the external processors, the spewers, 
get the information, the thoughts, the feelings, all of that, and tend to want to work through it in real time out loud, right? You know, talking through it, bouncing ideas off of somebody, you know, saying something to somebody and asking how that sounds, right? It's like they're kind of moving through the process in real time. And so neither of these processing styles are inherently better than the Mm -hmm. other. It's just that we see a lot of sometimes mismatches in those processing styles, miscommunication that happens because someone has a different processing style from their partner. You know, so for instance, my experience often dating spewers (laughs) is they'll just kind of start going and talking through their feelings. And to me, with my chewer lens, I'm like, oh, I, I guess that's your final decision on this or that's how you feel about this or like, okay. And sometimes that can actually be very distressing if someone's really delivering kind of a half-baked thought uh-huh. or they're not really sure what they're feeling. And then on the other side, for the spewers that are in relationship with the chewers, they can feel like, I'm being stonewalled, I'm being abandoned, or my partner is numbing out, or they're tuning me out, or something like that, right? And so we found that landing on this framework, first of all, it was mostly helpful just in having awareness, right? And being able to know which side you land on, and then using that as a jumping off point with you and your partner to figure out what are some ways that we can work around this? What are some ways we can better understand each other in this that doesn't require us to have to completely change the way that you individually process. So that's spewers and chewers in a nutshell. That's so good. So you guys have so much, so many of these tools that you actually made a book and we are recording on its pub date. So <laughs> yeah. first Amazing. of all, big congratulations. That's huge. Thank, Thank you. you. Explain to everyone what the book is and how it came to be. Sure. Yeah. The book uh, is a collection of six of our most popular tools that we've created over the last almost decade of doing this podcast. And we started doing the book. We started the book proposal process in 2019. We have a lovely patron who actually came to us and is a publishing agent, a book agent. And he was like, you should write a book. Should we do this? And and we did it. And it was it was great. So I think it, from 2019 to now, it's just been a long, long time of trying to figure out what this book was going to consist of. First, it was just a manual on our radar chapter, which is, as we said, you know, the specific sit down, like, here's a, a time where you can discuss how your relationship is doing and kind of see the state of the union of the relationship. We thought maybe it was just going to be a book on that. But then we realized, hey, we have so many tools. Let's figure out um, a way to kind of distill down the most popular tools and the ones that really resonate the most with our audience and that we ourselves use and talk about over and over again. And so that's what the book became today. Yay. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So do each of you have a favorite like chapter or part of the book? Honestly, oh gosh, that's, it's just so hard. Like as far as the tools go of the six that made it into the book, they're literally ones that I use constantly in, in all of my relationships. And so it, it wouldn't, it's hard to pick in terms of like, oh, this is the one I actually use. It's like, no, actually all of these come up constantly in my day-to-day life. As far as ones that I'm particularly excited about, I mean, I guess I would go with Radar. So the Radar one that I mentioned was originally based on this idea of applying principles from Agile Scrum, which is this methodology for project planning and management that's used in like software development a lot That's actually so is funny. yeah <laughs> we promise we promise it's sexier and more fun than it sounds definitely <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but kind of taking some of the concepts and ideas from that and then applying that to your relationships and essentially the idea behind agile scrum just to give like I'll give some fun background here yeah please. the idea behind <laughs> it as a way to run a team and manage a project is that instead of saying at the very beginning okay this is where we're going to end up. These are all the steps we're going to do in order to get us there and go. And now we're going to go. And we're just going to try to keep on that timeline and we've planned it all out ahead of time. And instead, to look at it and say, all right, we're going to split this up into, we've got an idea of where we want to go, but then every week we're going to check back in and say, Mm. what's happened this week? What's changed? Is anything blocked? Do we want to adjust anything? And kind of doing more of this iterative, we're going to add a little bit to this project each week to eventually get to something better and to get there with less of this like frustration of trying to stick to this plan we made before we knew all the details that were going to come up along the way. Now, if you think about relationships... That's the whole like, I've got our whole, you know, next 50 years of our lives planned out. It's going to go exactly like this. We're going to be together two years and then we're going to get married and we're going to have our honeymoon in Barbados and, you know, whatever it is, right? We're going to (laughs) have our 2.5 kids and this, this, this. And just life doesn't work that way. You can't plan it that way. And often we can get ourselves kind of in a trap of thinking, well, but I have the plan. I've got to stick to it, even if that's not what's working for everybody. So essentially the idea is we've taken that concept and put it into this monthly check-in. And the thing I really like to emphasize about it is that it takes away this concept of we need to have a talk about our relationship Uh is only ever something when there's a problem and I'm mad at you about something or whatever. takes away the idea that you only talk intentionally about your relationship when it's bad and instead say, in that, like in that process, we're going to keep checking in of like, what's going well? Awesome, let's do more of that. What could be better? Okay, great. Let's try adjusting that a little bit. And then the idea that we're going to check in in another month or two weeks or two months or however often you decide to do it to check back in and go, how was that? Was that better? No? Okay, let's do something else. Or yeah, dude, actually that was great. 
I love this. So it's just like you're getting to work together to make something awesome that grows and develops over time with the two of you, fixing bad things and making the good things better. And that that to me is such a big mental shift from the way I had always approached relationships before and the way I see a lot of people approaching them still. I love that so much. So who's the project manager that brought that idea to the group? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was me. I think oh, really? I encountered yeah. well done. Well, because it was years and years ago, it was an article that was written by a woman who was a software engineer where she was talking about oh. wanting to apply Agile Scrum principles to her relationship. Mm-hmm. We saw that article. We were like, this is really interesting, but it's written from a very traditional monogamous perspective. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it still holds up if you are doing this with multiple partners over time, if you're adding in topics to check in on that are more relevant to the kinky people, the non-monogamous people, stuff like that. And so that was when we kind of started this process of like, I don't think we set out. I don't think we were like, oh, we'll try this for a year and then record an episode on it. But we were just like, we'll try this. And then I think it ended up a year later. Then we were like, okay, I think we've played with this. We've tweaked it. We've gotten some interesting experiences. And so now we're going to start developing it. And then the really cool thing is that as that has developed over time, like our own audience has picked up that tool and they've continued to develop it. So like when we sat down to write the book, we literally did almost like an informal focus group with some of our listeners about the radar tool specifically, you know, asking people, Okay, so like, when did you hear about it? When did you start doing it? How long have you been doing it? What have been the obstacles that have gotten in the way? What are the ways that you've modified it? What are the ways that it's really helped your relationship? So that again, it's that sense of not only is this not just us putting this through its paces, but it's also people in many, many, many different relationships from many different backgrounds and many different circumstances also working to develop this and give us feedback as well. And so like that's, I mean, been one of my favorite parts, honestly, of kind of like looking at this meta level at the development of the tool itself is that there's been a lot of input and feedback from a lot of different people. Dedeker, what was your favorite chapter? Oh, okay. okay. Same caveat. It's like they're all my children. Can't pick the favorite <laughs> no, one. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, um, I really like our microscripts tool. It's one that I've used constantly in my relationships for the past few years. And I mean, this is kind of a tool where I think a lot of people are actually using this tool and not realizing it, because essentially what microscripts are is harnessing the power of idiosyncratic language in your relationship. So it's like harnessing our innate tendency to create in-jokes and memes with the people that we love, whether that's your family members or your romantic partner or whatever, but harnessing that to get you through set-in communication patterns that are not necessarily serving you. So an example that I can give, one that Jace and I have used. So for a while, Jace and I were getting into these little, like, we call them nothing fights, where, you know, Jace would sometimes have to work maybe after hours or like do a work thing on the weekend and I would get really annoyed with him, you know, so he might be like, okay, I need to go get on a work call and I'd be like, oh God, wow, it's a Saturday though, you know, and like, you know, he'd get reactive, I'd get reactive, you know, it's just like, like that pattern would happen a number of times, right? You know, so like we did the work of talking through what feelings that are brought up for both of us, you know, and like what was really at stake here in those conversations, And then we decided like, okay, can we figure out a microscript to replace that interaction where he says I need to work and I like roll my eyes or sigh or whatever it is. And so Jace came up with, Jace's reasoning was, I'm just gone for a little while. It could be, you know, if I was like, hey, I'm going to go get on a Zoom call with a friend of mine, you wouldn't 
be as upset, even though it's like taking time away and it's time on a weekend or whatever, right? So like when I need to work, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go hang out with my friend, Billy Bob Thornton, for some reason, was the one that he picked. It's <laughs> like, I just need to, okay, today, I know it's Saturday, but I need to, I know I'm going to have to be on a Zoom call with Billy Bob for like an hour or so. And then I could hear that and just be like, okay, great, have a good time with Billy Bob. I'm going to like play some video games or whatever. And so it basically took that interaction that could have, usually would have sent us into a weird little tiff and like mm-hmm. some weird tension and just made it like kind of light and silly you know, and we kind of got through it. And so it's kind of, it's that. And we have like, I don't know, 6 billion microscripts, it feels like, and I do in all of my relationships. And that's a solution we often reach for. Like, again, once we've done the work of identifying, okay, there's a problem here, there's a pattern here, we want to be a team and work on this. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the replacement? What's kind of the silly replacement that we can try on? And it is silly, you know, it's like, obviously, he's not really talking to Billy Bob Thornton. And it's like, kind of, <laughs> dumb and but it's just enough to kind of get us through that interaction so yeah that's one of my favorite ones because of the fact that it gives an opportunity for these moments of tension or these weird little patterns or these little nothing fights can actually transform into something that helps you feel closer or at least a little sillier and more playful with each other totally because those are the little things that you know they're like the four horsemen of relationships Mm -hmm. or whatever and those Mm -hmm. resentments and that contempt are like the most deadly things that you can encounter so if you can rewrite those that's Mm -hmm. amazing yeah absolutely and again i have to clarify that it it's you know why i've been saying this over and over again is like we had to do the work first of understanding each other right it wasn't just oh let's just in joke our way through it Mm -hmm. and just kind of because that can be just like a band-aid right so it's like once we had the work then it was like how do we put something in there to help get us through it nice emily yeah i'm gonna say it again just because the two of you didn't say it so the triverse (laughs) of communication is such an easy one it's the very first tool in our book And I think that's because you can use it with literally anybody and it's so easy to implement in your daily life, regardless of what kind of relationship you're in or whomever you're using it with. And it's just if you're in conflict or if you are in a moment of uh, challenge or just whatever, you're having kind of a bad day, you can tell somebody, hey, I want one of these three things in communication from you. So the first is... I have something I just want to get off my chest. This is Triforce number one. I just, I'm going to tell you something and I don't need anything from you. I just want to tell you. That's it. Triforce number two is I'm going to tell you something and what I really need from you is love, support, you know, hugs, poor baby, it's going to be okay. Any of those things, that's it. I don't need anything else from you. And then finally, Triforce number three, which so many people jump to immediately is I really need you know, some problem solving. I would love to hear your opinion on this and maybe how you do something better or how you would do something differently. Like let's problem solve here. And we get in, you know, a lot of heteronormative, I think, situations where the woman comes home and is having a bad day and the guy automatically goes to, well, you should have done this or, mm-hmm. you, you know, you would be doing better if if you decided to do this thing. And that gets it into really difficult, challenging moments of I didn't need that from you. I didn't ask for that. I didn't want that from you. I wanted just love and support. And so if you're really honest and upfront immediately with the person you're talking to about what it is that you need, I think that's huge. And that can solve so many problems so easily immediately. 
Yeah, I am a fixer, so I am immediately yeah. like, let's yeah, me too. Let me That's get in there. Occur, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's gonna be my job. Like my job is I work with people one on one, and so yeah, it is a funny thing that we've commented on that it doesn't always fall along the super traditional gender lines no. of who wants to be the fixer. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. do need someone to be like, hey. Babe, try force number one. Get okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just shut up yeah. and listen. Yeah. But the great thing is, is that what I love about the Triforce is that both of you don't necessarily need to be onboarded into the language, right? Uh -huh. So you don't have to be like, oh, it's T1 or T2 or T3 or whatever. Like you can just have that awareness just to be able to say, you know what? I just want to be heard. Like, I don't necessarily need sympathy. I don't necessarily need problem solving. I kind of just want to get this off my chest, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can say that without it needing to be in the code language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, privates. Boo, boo, privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just wanna say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, Wait for the right girl when she comes. And in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. 
Fleshlight.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is PPUPod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So, okay, you guys have been at this for almost a decade. What is the key for a good relationship of any kind in your oh, in your mind, Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> As experts. Right. Gosh. Oh boy. <laughs> the key. Do we all get to give one and that's how we cheat? You can. Or, yes, yeah. you can all give or one. Or do we have to like hive mind just to figure it out, <laughs> figure it out what once. each other is <laughs> thinking? Right. Yeah. What's the big stuff? What's the big stuff? Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I think for me, the key is having a sense of self-efficacy. And what I mean by that is both people coming to the relationship feeling like we can change things. We can change our habitual patterns. We can choose to communicate in a way that is different from how my parents communicated, how my trauma is suggesting I should communicate right now. I think that's key because I think especially in the world of relationship advice books or communication books, it's a huge industry, right? There's so many of them out there and usually picked up by women hoping to fix things in their relationships. And unfortunately, there's really only so much that that will help if you don't feel like, oh, there's a pathway forward here. I can change things. And especially if your partner isn't also showing up to the table to be like, hey, we can collaborate on things and work on things, right? So for me, I think that's key is like, Having a sense like, okay, we can change things. We're empowered to be able to steer the course of this relationship the way we want to. And we can work together even when we run into obstacles or places where we disagree or places where there's tension. So I think that's that's my vote. To kind of jump off of that, it's something that I've found in my relationship that really changed kind of the way that I looked at it in general is just to assume good intent first of your partner to not think that, well, they're out to get me or they're doing this thing that pisses me off so much just because they want to, you know, dig in or whatever it is. These stories that we tend to tell ourselves about what the other person is doing or what they think our relationship is without ever asking those questions or viewing what it is that they're doing as maybe, you know, the two of us can work together and fix a problem as opposed to it being us versus them kind of thing. So I think it's really important in any of the tools that we talk about in the book to come together with your partner in a collaborative sense and a curiosity sense. And like, how can we fix this problem together? What can we use from the book or just from daily life, whatever it is that you listen to or or that you're interested in reading about how to do relationships better, what can we take from that and, you know, use to make our relationship as good as it possibly can be? Yeah, totally. Jace? Yeah, I think I think for me, I would say one of the biggest things, and we, we kind of address this peripherally several times through the book, but it's this idea of 
moving our concept of like what makes a relationship successful and what makes a relationship good mm -hmm. and moving that away from some of the stuff that are just kind of assumed by our culture and our society. And what I mean by that is a few things. Like on one hand, we often treat relationships that last a long time as being equivalent to good relationships. And that's not necessarily the case, right? You could have 50 years of, you know, maybe it's not terrible, but not very fulfilling, or you feel a little bit trapped, or you just have, you never really got to do the things in your life you wanted to do because you kind of fell into this one role and that's all you ever did. And that's what you've done for 50 years. And people hear 50 years, they go, wow, amazing. <laughs> that's great. Wow. What are your tips? How can I be like you? Or we don't even stop to think, was it a good 50 years? Or yeah. the, I mean, I, there were some ups and downs, I'm sure. Like, Overall, was this good? Would you recommend? So I think one is moving away from that concept that just lasting a long time means success. But then I'd say also there's this concept of the relationship escalator that Amy Guerin originally coined that term to basically mean all those steps we go through in relationships. That's how we tell ourselves it's going well and it's progressing. So that's things like moving in together, becoming exclusive, uh, you know, having kids, getting married, buying a house, like any of these kinds of markers of this is the next step in our relationship or this is the next step. Like you've heard that term a lot, right? Mm -hmm. This is the next step in our relationship. And it's called an escalator because it only goes up. And the only way off of it is like to jump off the side, basically. Uh, <laughs> or at least that's how a lot of us think of it, right? It's like, once we've moved in together, we if we moved out, we would break up. Like th those two things are synonymous. Like to take a step down means just jumping off the escalator. Mm -hmm. And so I think moving away from those two kind of built-in assumptions that are really not based on anything except... I don't know, we just don't want to spend the time to like actually think through what we want in our relationships or whether other people's relationships are good. So we've used these as this shorthand for whether they're successful or not. Uh, so I think that it's like letting go of those things really opens up a lot of options and empowers you to look at, well, what actually does make my relationships good? And also when you move away from some of those ways of thinking about relationship success, it lets you see I've actually got a lot of relationships in my life that are really important and fulfilling. I've mm. got some friendships that maybe I haven't been as intentional about, but these are people who've been here for me for years, like potentially since childhood, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Depending on how long you've had your friends. It's like, that's really significant. And we tend to downplay it because it doesn't fit that kind of model of this relationship escalator that we're going up. And so I think my kind of big takeaway from the whole you know, nine years of doing this podcast is that, is moving away from those kind of external markers of what makes relationships important and broadening that view of which relationships can be important in your life. Yeah, I love that. That was one of my favorite parts is just not defining relationship success by duration because it's so common. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of research too. We do a lot of research, like looking at studies and things that have been done for our show to help back up the tools that we're making or the subject we're talking about. And so many of them, that's their metric. It's like, okay, let's look at these various things that couples did and then see how long that relationship lasted. And okay, the ones that did that thing, the relationship lasted longer. That's the good thing to do, apparently. And it's that like, is it? Maybe it is. 
maybe it lasted because it was good, but that's not always the case. Maybe this is a thing you do that is how you get yourself or someone else to stay in a bad relationship longer. Like that's also possible. <laughs> so <laughs> really being critical of that assumption, I think, is important. Yeah, totally. I was imagining prison when you were talking about it. Oh, I was like, yeah, gosh, that's not yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They found that people who went to prison together stayed together longer because <laughs> they couldn't escape, you know? <laughs> really good so for relationships. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay. Those are your keys for good relationships of any kind. But for non-monogamy in specific, do you have any mm. tips for privates? They love this topic. Obviously, they should listen to your podcast. But any quick and dirty tips for what makes non-monogamy work? And I know it's so many different things right. and different <laughs> strokes for different folks. But Yeah, some dirty tips. <laughs> do we have any dirty tips? Or clean ones, whatever. <laughs> A willingness to use Google Calendar. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I always, my go-tos, again, I think this could apply to any relationship, but especially in non-monogamy, I just always want to tell people have good boundaries and wear a condom. That's it. Because what I see with my client base, the way that people get into trouble is by not knowing what their boundaries are or kind of having a bad sense of what they are, really not enforcing that, and also getting in trouble by not wearing condoms. So, (laughs) or whatever your barrier of choice is. Sure. Right. We have a saying on the show, don't sign anything in the first year. And that that applies to any relationship, non-monogamous or not. But I think uh, when you're in the midst of non-monogamy, sometimes what happens is you get an NRE, which I'm not sure if you've heard that term, but it's new relationship energy. And that's those like incredible feelings of, oh, my God, I'm so in love with this person. There's they can do no wrong. Everything is just all sunshine and roses. And I love my life right now. And I, I have to get, you know, so much of this person and everyone else is kind of dead to me. And that can happen in so many different types of relationships, but it can also cause us to do things like move in together or get married or do a lot of things in the first year that maybe after a little while you realize, shit, I really shouldn't have done that. And I really should have taken some time. So with NRE, don't forget about the other people in your life that are super important to you, especially established relationships, because those can be really important and wonderful as well. But also in any relationship, don't just like leave your friends and family on the side of the road and forget about them because they're important too. I think my takeaway for non-monogamy specifically would be to encourage people to, um, this is going to sound weird, but to not be, to to avoid being too closed-minded about what it means to be a non-monogamous person. And now, I know that I think a lot of us by default go, if I'm going outside of monogamy, I am by definition being very open-minded. And while, yes, like you are stepping outside of this norm, you are, you know, having to unlearn a lot of things and challenge things, but there's this tendency, and we all fell into it in the beginning as well, but there's this tendency to find some version of non-monogamy that makes sense to you. So maybe that's some kind of a lifestyle, swinging kind of thing. Maybe that's polyamory. Maybe that's relationship anarchy. Maybe it's solo polyamory. You know, there's lots of different labels for kind of specific ways of doing it. And it's very easy to fall into this trap of this way that I found to do it, this is the right way. 
<laughs> and now anyone who's still doing monogamy is stupid and wrong. And anyone who's doing one of these other forms of non-monogamy, they're less than me somehow. Right? Whether that's, oh, I'm polyamorous and these swingers are just like, oh, it's like all about sex, but they like are denying their emotions and they're being unrealistic. Or if you're a swinger looking at the polyamorous people and just being like, they have no respect for their partners mm -hmm. and like their actual relationships and they're just willing to throw that all away just because they can't commit to anyone. Like it's so easy to make those judgments uh -huh. of each other. And it's like, no, we're all on the same team here of wanting to broaden our options and look at this. And so, I mean that both in terms of who you're supportive of in a community and, you know, holding back some of your judgment in those communities when people bring up different ways of doing it. And at the same time, keeping your mind open for yourself. Because maybe you're like, I'm so set that polyamory is the right way to do things. And so I'm going to try to do that and tell everyone that's what I'm doing. When maybe in reality, what you want and maybe what your partner wants, if you're partnered, is we want to occasionally have threesomes. Mm -hmm. And to kind of advertise ourselves as polyamorous, we might actually end up hurting more people who get into a relationship thinking we're open to some kind of ongoing romantic relationship when really we just want someone to hook up with sometimes. And like both are cool. Mm -hmm. So don't try to say I'm this one because I've, I've been told it's better than the other. But just kind of be open and be honest about what it is that you're looking for. And not everyone's going to agree, but that's okay. Right? We don't all agree on what monogamy means. So why should we all agree on what non-monogamy needs to be? Yes. Be open-minded about open relationships. <laughs> that is a good place to end, I think. Give us one last plug for the book. Tell us where to find it and find you guys online. Yeah, the book is out today. And therefore, when this episode drops, it will be out for all y'all out there. <laughs> I, you can find it at multiamory.com slash book or at other booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, all of the, the above. And then we are Multiamory Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at multiamory underscore podcast and then Facebook and Twitter at multiamory. Amazing. Thank you for joining me on your pub date. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. And thanks again to Emily, Jace, and Dedeker of the Multiamory Podcast. Those were some good-ass relationship tools, and most of them applied to anyone. So I encourage you to buy their book, Privates, no matter what kind of relationship you are in. And of course, stay tuned right here because I've got lots more sexy episodes coming up for you soon. I just went through and did cut downs for the whole rest of the summer. So there is so much good stuff coming up, including an episode on casual sex. So casual. <laughs> We're just the most casual about sex. No, it's a really good episode. Plus, I'm taking you inside some Midwestern sex clubs. And no, that's not an oxymoron. I'm actually from the Midwest and we are a surprisingly horny bunch, okay? <laughs> For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player now. If you're on Spotify, it's probably a little bell button. On other platforms, it's like a follow or a subscribe. And to stay in touch between episodes, follow me on social media at Courtney Kosak. That is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And hey, privates, I am shamelessly trying to hit the top 1% on OnlyFans before I retire, if I ever retire. 
<laughs> but that is a goal of mine. And I am currently in the top 6.4%. So if you are interested in a Playboy style peek behind the podcast and you want to help support the show, you can subscribe to my OnlyFans. It is OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. Again, OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. And guess what? The Private Parts Unknown YouTube channel has been resurrected. It is back from the dead. And there are new videos with Gigi Engel, Dr. Amir Marashi, and now Multi-Amory on the channel. So you can check it out. It's youtube.com slash private parts unknown again youtube.com slash private parts unknown and make sure you subscribe shout out to amy roush for the bomb ass theme music for more info about amy and her music check out amyroush.com that's amy r-a-a-s-c-h.com this episode was mixed by my ride or die audio guy michael castaneda of plastic audio and after enjoying this content could we ask you for a quick favor just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. We actually have some rating and review goals and we are so close and you guys have been awesome about helping us out. So we are currently trying to get to 275 on Apple Podcasts and we are currently at 272. And on Spotify, we are trying to get to 100 and we are at 96 as of this recording. So, 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 so close on both platforms. I think we can hit both goals by next episode. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. If you are listening on Spotify, please go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars. And no matter where you're listening, you can participate by going to ratethispodcast.com slash private and giving us a five-star rating and review. And one more thing, there is a new way you can support the show. We are now on the Fountain app. So if you are listening on a V4V platform and you get value from this show, you can support us by sending a Boostagram or you can send us some sats for streaming. So I just wanna shout out our latest supporters, Pretty Jazz Castomatic sent 10,812 sats. Amir M sent 190 sats and 92 sats from wgraba at getalby.com from Podverse. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support. And thank you for listening, privates. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring. Love you.